The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed and nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Joining us today is a guest that needs no introduction, but we will introduce him nonetheless. Uh, Farhad Manju is here with us. He's an opinion columnist for the New York Times, a longtime observer and reporter on tech who's now broadened out a little bit. So I think it's a great week for us to discuss um, what's happening to our society, how much the internet has impacted that and where people might be putting a little too much emphasis. Uh, really kind of perfect for our uh, our pledge to do nuanced conversations. I think this will be one that you're going to enjoy a lot. Farhad, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex. It's good to be here. It's great to have you here. How you been, man? It's, it's been a while. Um, you've been cranking stuff out for the Times. Really interesting stuff. And, and um, you know, one of the things okay. I like is, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about how, like, it doesn't... Um, there are some of your, your columns, especially this recent one about um, the moral panic that folks are having about Instagram. It's a kind of brave thing to say. Um, it seems like a lot of times. <laughs> a lot of people told me that. And I yeah. was, um, it was interesting. To, I, I didn't really like know, notice, know that when I was writing it. Like I, there yeah. um, was my cat jumping over me. Yeah. For um, those on, on audio only, Farhad has written um, a, a column about uh what's going on in his cat's mind. And yeah. uh, we have one in, joining us in the recording studio, <laughs> quote unquote, today. And we're going to get to that in our third segment. But I'm sorry, go ahead, Farhad. Yeah. Oh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Uh, the moral panic. The moral panic. We were talking about how people told you that it was brave to, to talk about. So, yeah, just to set the stage, you said that we're having, you know, potentially having this moral panic about Instagram after the whistleblower Francis Haugen uh, came out with um, some reports that internal Facebook reports that say that, Instagram's harming our teens. So I, I didn't mean it as like a larger defense of Facebook or Facebook's business practices. I was I was mostly just thinking about Instagram as a product. And when I think about Instagram as a product, one thing I worry about, like, so I have two kids and they're younger than um, teenagers. So they don't sort of have precisely the problems that, um, that you know, was brought up in that, uh, in the criticism of Facebook and teen girls. But the... Um, it struck me that the criticism was um, very similar to kind of criticism of media generally, like media aimed at kids. Like there's sort of criticism all the time about um, about uh, body image issues. I mean, magazines have done it forever. So it didn't seem like a new um, criticism. Like, a, And it seemed like Facebook, like Instagram, was being unfairly um, kind of singled out for something that kind of exists in the culture. Um, more than that, like the the research that um, was supposed to have sort of shown that Facebook is bad for girls, the Facebook, the um, Instagram research that uh, the whistleblower said was was um, kind of hidden, it just didn't seem very strong. It was all it was mostly like survey based research, and it it just seemed it seemed like um, the kind of research that I've seen before from tech companies, which is like UI research, um, which is not something that you use for uh, you know making like kind of assessments about people's users psychology or how they're feeling. Um, it was, 
you know, self-reported surveys, not random. Um, and it just seemed like it, it, I, I think that from what I know, Facebook just sort of didn't do anything with it after that, didn't, um, you know, follow up on it. And so it probably would have been better if they, you know, looked at these, some of these warring signs in the survey and done some actual research, but like the research we have that was supposedly sort of the smoking gun did not seem very, um, strong to me. And we just have this long, long history, um, uh, in, in, in sort of popular culture of, um, just being very worried about whatever kids are doing. Like it's happened since comic books, like comic books were supposed to like ruin an entire generation. It happened with TV. It happened with um, video games. And, um, you know, there have been some uh, like established research about some of those things that suggest that they have um, negative um, aspects, but not to the degree that people worried about them in the first place. Um, and, you know, as someone who kind of spe- spent my childhood um, watching a lot of TV and playing like a lot of Nintendo, um, like the the sort of like automatic idea that like watching a lot of TV uh, ruins you seemed just completely kind of preposterous to me. And, and like these kinds of criticisms about technology in general, um, I think are always kind of lack that like nuance. Like it depends on like the studies I've seen about screen time, for example, are not that um, strong. Like they suggest that they may have some small negative effect on kids. If you spend like eight hours a day watching TV um, or, or using some kind of screen, which is like a lot and not kind of representative of what um, I think ordinary people should worry about. Um, And, um, and then the other thing that happened, I don't know, am I, am I going on too long here? The other thing that happened, I think, is I had a reassessment of, um, like, the danger of screen time during the pandemic. Because, like, mm-hmm. what happened during, during the pandemic was, like, everyone just was addicted to screens. And um, even my kids. And um, they don't use Instagram, but they use YouTube a lot. And um, there are terrible things on YouTube that I don't want them to watch. But there are also, like, a ton of interesting and, like, um, there's content on YouTube that is much more valuable than like the content I watched when I was a child. And, um, I think that if you sort of, um, uh, kind of condemn an entire, uh, platform, you, it's kind of like saying like, like reading is bad for kids. Like some things are some, some kind of uh, content in that medium could be bad for kids, but like the entire sort of medium being bad for kids seems a little bit, um, I don't know, a little bit extreme. Yeah. And it reminds me of uh, what's happening in China, where they've put a limit on the amount of time kids can play video games. And I've you know, watched this closely as of you and I've thought you know, social media, when used the right way, can actually encourage creativity and out of the box thinking. And that's the stuff that's actually going to empower people to be successful, not just memorizing and spitting back. And so I do think there's a good use for it. The question that I think we're all struggling with and that Facebook in particular is struggling with is how do you end up creating those uses that you know are positive while mitigating some of the downsides? Yeah. I mean, I think that Facebook has um, one huge problem as a company and I don't know how it solves it. And that problem is that it's all of its revenue is based on engagement and engagement is something that can be good sometimes and bad sometimes, mm-hmm. but you can really drive that in a, in a terrible way. As like the company pulling the strings, you can kind of make the content such that it provides little value, but it provides like to the user, uh, little kind of long-term value, but a lot of kind of short-term value in that it keeps them coming back and it, and it keeps your um, ad revenues up. And, um, you know, I think like other tech companies, a lot of other tech companies have a lot more um, 
uh, I don't know, pure <laughs> incentives. Like, like Apple sells you stuff and it, and if, and if the stuff is bad and doesn't like add you add value to your life, like you just will stop spending that huge amount of money. Um, I feel similarly with Amazon. Like I, I have a lot of trouble with kind of their, some of their business practices, but as a service, it is like very, very useful. And, um, and it's very sort of like clear transaction that I'm making. And Google is similar too, in that like your the search engine at least or maps or something like that. You're like um, trying to get like uh, you know utility from it, and um, and you're you're being shown ads on it. But it's not like something where like this like Google can like um, change its results in such a way to um, get you to search ten times more. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it it doesn't have that same kind of risk. Um, I think the problem with Facebook is like. Every time, and you know, many of the the, the Facebook files um, articles suggested this, and this has been a long time like, criticism of Facebook. Like every time that some kind of risk or problem is presented to them, they seem to sort of um, err on the side of like more engagement. Like, um, and that, and and that's, um, I mean, I criticize them for that, but it's sort of like in the same way that I criticize oil companies, like that's like the thing they sell. And so it's hard to criticize, like we need sort of rules and regulations, but like Mm -hmm. um, Facebook itself, I think is not, is not sort of capable of kind of policing itself. And so, you know, if I have one criticism about that Instagram thing, for example, it's just that like it was secret and it was buried and I, and I like that we know about it now, but I just didn't think by itself, it was like a, you know, a a smoking gun. Right. Look, I I do think that Facebook can make choices on its own. Like Mark Zuckerberg is the lone shareholder. It can, end up sacrificing some business optimization for the greater good. But, you know, I, I, we can't let them off the hook completely. Like, oh, yeah, no, I, I mean, like, I, I think that like, just, but sort of a lot of what they're doing is, here's the problem I have. Like, I think that a lot of this stuff should have stopped in 2013 when people in 2012 and 2013, like 2011, when Facebook was buying up all these companies, like at that point, the government had a um, had a way to stop Facebook from becoming the monopoly it is, and there were people who criticized the um, uh, the FTC uh, for allowing those mergers to happen. Um, there were and and they, you know, the Obama administration was extremely like tech friendly, and like they had a lot of tech friendly policies, and like Google and Facebook were yeah. able to grow extremely large. Well, it's no surprise because those platforms also helped their campaigns. So right, right, true. I mean, like there was a sense in 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 and then, government, and they helped Trump's campaign, and all of a sudden it was a turnaround. Right, there was a sense in government, in like Silicon Valley, in in sort of the culture that like tech companies were good, and so there was not like a strong kind of regulatory bent, and you know we could have made these companies um, less dangerous to the world if we had. Um, like if Facebook was just Facebook and not Instagram and WhatsApp, like it would be a lot easier to, 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 um, kind of get a handle on. Um, and you know, it may, may not even be that much of a risk if, if people moved on to other platforms, but the fact that it owns all these, all these things and, um, and for a lot of these things, you, you as a user have little choice as to kind of engaging in it. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a problem, but, um, that specific thing about about Instagram, I felt like was was a little bit over the top. 
Yeah. And, and I want to touch on what we started with, uh, which is that people came and told you that you were brave. I mean, obviously, you know, I started the interview saying that. And just to unpack that a little bit for listeners, it does seem oftentimes that the, the press tends to you know go along together and there's no negative penalties for saying bad stuff about Facebook. And so to come out and say, hey, we need a little nuance on this stuff uh, doesn't happen too often. And in fact, you know, on, on this show in particular, I mean, people know here that, you know, I'm not, a, a, you know, I'm no booster of Facebook, but I've also gotten, you know, angry emails about like, you know, trying to look at this from a broader perspective. So I imagine you got some of those as well once your column ran. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I think that a lot of, um, especially the, the readers in of like the comments on the Times were mostly negative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There were kind of contrarians on Twitter who agreed with it, but I don't think it was like, uh, you know, positively received by a lot of people. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I sort of expected that. But like this idea of like bravery, like we do have in in journalism and in tech journalism, something of like a, like a, like a herd mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's difficult to kind of get out of that. Um, I have like sort of no, one of the things about, um, not writing about tech, um, as much anymore is like, I have no kind of like beat affiliations with any of these companies. And so like, I don't even really like, like, I don't go to the press events. I don't like know the PR people there as much anymore. Like I just have very little of a relationship with them. So I don't really like, feel strongly either way about them as like sources or subjects that I'm uh, like passionate about anymore. And it was a, it's like, a, it's like a thing where Facebook um, I think is um, like just ripe for criticism. Uh, it It is like, I think probably net like a bad force in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but um, I think sometimes people get off um, like the main uh, the main ways that it's it's a negative force, and I, I mean, I think that's like uh, mostly that um, you, as a user of Facebook, are um, just driven into sort of ideological bubbles, and also um, and also like it echoes uh, just like a lot of um, like the polarization that we have in the country. It just sort of seems to amplify that, um, yeah. but I, I think. Sorry, am I like I, I, the other thing? I think is like no, people. Bro, this is um, why this is why you're here, man. So I, we do want to hear your thoughts. Go ahead. I think the other thing that is a is a big um, I don't know blind spot or difficulty for the press um, about Facebook is that a lot of the reasons that a lot of the things that are bad about Facebook are things that are bad about journalism mm-hmm. about like media generally. I mean, like it's kind of ironic that. The Wall Street Journal broke these stories when like one of the Wall Street Journal's kind of corporate partners, uh, Fox News, is like the source of a lot of um, misinformation and um, kind of like the crazy stuff you see on Facebook came from Fox News or like the crazy stuff you see on Fox News came from Facebook. And they Hmm. work in like this um, very symbiotic way where we're like you know, if you got, if you, if you sort of got rid of one of them, like the whole system would be better. But if you got rid of both of them, like we, we would like um, solve a lot of our problems. Uh, and, and I think that like, um, you know, you see that in not just Fox News, like you see um, like a, the, the effect that Facebook has had on the media is, is to make it more sensationalistic, make it more like headline driven and clickbaity. And um 
that's like a that's like a thing that media really like had to do to to survive in the Facebook world. Um, and you can blame that on Facebook, but like you can also say like, well, they didn't come up with a different business model, and and like a lot of online sites like base their model on Facebook, and so that has like changed journalism in, in a poor way. And it's difficult for people in media to kind of um, make that criticism, uh, yeah. because like of, of you know of our own biases. Oh, there's also a, a sort of under siege mentality that the media has right now, where it feels like it's you know, under attack, not physical attack, but certainly, you know, we've had, um, we had a head of state here in the United States who's, you know, tried to discredit it and basically ran against it. I mean, Steve Bannon called the media, the enemy of the people. Uh, right. and you know, look at what happens with the CNN folks inside the pen. I'm not, you know, there, there there's folks, and I think there's reasonable criticism that folks like Jim Acosta, like, you know, present themselves as like, you know, people who are under, you know, under real threat, you know, whereas like he's kind of just a blowhard uh, yelling stuff at the president from, uh, you know, the front row. Uh, but but there is this siege mentality. And, and you know, unfortunately, it has prevented the media from being as self-reflective as I think they need to be and as nuanced as they need to be, which is, uh, again, like, you know, I, I like the idea of doing a newsletter and a podcast uh, and, you know, you're on a subscription paper. Although people have a lot to say about the times, but I like the idea of doing this stuff because it gives the format to be able to unpack these issues and, 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 you know, try to unpack them at length and with the deserved nuance and gray area. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so now I'm going to push back a little bit on your column. <laughs> if you, uh, well, anyway, yeah. I'm just going to do it. Um, so, so, you know, talking about a moral panic um, with Instagram, like the company did have uh, data that showed that uh, unlike the other social media uh, platforms, people are comparing themselves on Instagram and against other people and feeling bad about themselves. And uh, there was a, a Max Reed who had been at New York Magazine and now is a, a fellow Substacker. Uh, uh, you know, talked about how maybe we need a moral panic uh, with Instagram. He didn't link your article, but I wonder if he was speaking to it. And he talked about how, like, the ideas that Facebook, you know, we've talked about, like, misinformation and Cambridge Analytica, and none of that moved the needle, uh, largely because it was policy stuff. But this is about how Facebook makes us feel. And the reason why this story resonated is because Facebook makes a lot of people feel bad. And I'll just quote one of his lines. Um, if he said, yeah, if the point is to transform Facebook from something that works on us to something that works for us and barring that to shut it down, I don't know where, where that comes in. He, but he said, it's useful to remember what people hate about it. And again, it's about the way that it makes people feel. And this, again, like it was one of these things where people said, okay, well, it didn't come out of nowhere. Um, you know, a lot, and, and it's not that surprising, but the data was, you know, the fact that Facebook has known this and the integrity folks were saying, that hasn't really done much to change it, um, seems to be a legitimate area for criticism. What, what's your response to that? So I think, so there's a couple of things. So one is that like, does Facebook, like the, this is what goes back to what I said earlier, which is Facebook has one primary incentive and that's to increase engagement. And mm -hmm. so like, even if they do have data that says people feel bad about using it, we have to sort of, um, uh, kind of weigh that against like, do people feel bad enough that they're not going to keep using our platform? Um, and like, 
if if I would love if companies generally like acted in the incentive of like what's mm-hmm. the best long term benefit for like the user, like a non monetary benefit. But like, I can't think of a single company that would do that. Like, oh, this is gonna like if we if we change this, it's gonna um, make our users feel better in the long run on metrics that like we don't make money from on metrics that like we um, uh, are unsure about. Like they they measure like they measure. Um, advertising and engagement and that kind of stuff in like a very precise way. And their sort of surveys about, about how people feel are, are much less precise. Um, And like, if they had a, they often have told me that like they have, they feel like um, long-term like meaningfulness is something that like drives engagement on Facebook, but that just seems totally bogus to me. Like, yes, I agree. If you, if you look at like what newsfeed is, or if you look at what Instagram is like, it's not about making you feel good in the long run. It's about like making you sort of pull the refresh tab all the time. <laughs> and, um, and like, I, I just don't know how you, how you square that with like the first amendment with like media companies. Like it's hard for me to, like, it's difficult for me to say that like a, another media company makes people feel bad. And so therefore there should be some legal repercussion. Yeah. Like, I mean, Fox News makes me feel terrible. <laughs> like, I don't really, like, want it to have, like, good penalties, government penalties or regulation. I think that's the difficulty. Uh, okay, because these stories always end up going to what's the government going to do about it. Um, I was going to say, okay, well, y- yes, their business model is all about engagement, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't, like, be up in arms about the fact that they know they're making people feel bad and they stick with it. But, you know, I guess... You know, you had you spoke about the way the Senate was grant, you know, uh, um, making a big deal about this. And, and it, we should start to feel I think your point is we should start to feel a little bit weary of what happens when lawmakers want to run with that. Yeah. I mean, so so like if you if you think back to sort of previous moral panics, like comic yes. books, for example, like like. uh or, or rap music or rock, or rock music. Like there were a lot of um, calls for not selling it to, to kids or having, you know, various kinds of labels on it or um, just like banning it outright. And um, maybe you could do that with Facebook. Like the, the whistleblower suggested that we raise the age from 13 to like 18 or something. Um, yeah. I like just that's have a lot of from using these products. Right. I mean, it seems like very difficult to enforce and, um, and I don't know what like real long-term um, effect it'll have. Like one thing I think about is like Instagram is going to be in the world um, or something like Instagram is going to be in the world. And like, if I, if my kids don't use it, um, they're both going to be sort of cut off from like their friends who use it and will sort of not understand perhaps in like a very naive way, like how to use the internet. And like, you know, mm-hmm. truthfully, like the biggest problem we have in this country is not how kids use the internet. It's like how old people use the internet. And like one reason that they're less good at it is because like it's just sort of been thrown at them and they haven't yeah. kind of learned the like media environment and like how to determine truth from not or like what irony is on the internet and things like that. And I, I feel like you need those kinds of things to be able to kind of navigate and navigate the digital world and like if you prohibit it for young people it seems like it it would be difficult to enforce and also would make 
it would be dubious that it would have like long-term good. Um, I, I see a lot of these conversations going toward like Facebook is bad and therefore we need to do something about it. And like the do something about it part is scary. Yeah. Because, it gets sketchy. It does. Right. Cause like, I have a lot of problems with Mark Zuckerberg determining like what's on Facebook, but I have like infinitely more problems with like the Republican Senate or, or Donald Trump <laughs> or like the FTC or anyone else sort of saying what's val what's valid and what's not valid or how Facebook should um, run its algorithm. And like all those things seem sort of unconstitutional to me, but also just like, uh, just like a very bad like precedent <laughs> to have the government decide those kinds of things. Yeah. So let's get to the core of the issue. Uh, do you think that, do you think that Instagram is like comic books in that, you know, the media and lawmakers are saying, you know, how could this be, you know, how could we have this uh, in the hands of the younger generation where like the actual harmful effects aren't that big? Or do you think that it might be in another category? Where do you line up on that question? I think it's like those, um, it's like teen celebrity magazines. <laughs> it's like, um, or like, uh, so it's like media that of the kind we've had for a long time, which gives people um, as unrealistic kind of over glamorous view of the world um, in like teen celebrity magazines. It was like teen celebrities, but here it's like your friends at school. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, this is something that adults uh, struggle with. Like, everyone sort of feels bad when they look at Instagram because like all your friends look like they're having perfect lives. Yeah, I deleted um, it. And, oh, really? Yeah. I, I barely look at it. Um, um, but like I do have family who use it. And so I look at their pictures sometimes. Um, but it's not something that like I look at often. I, I use, I use um, all of Facebook's products. I, I barely ever use. Um, I don't really use WhatsApp and Messenger. Oh. I mean, I use WhatsApp because like I have, relatives in um south africa and and whatsapp is big there but that's like the only time i use it and i got um i got an oculus recently and so i use that <laughs> and um but like uh, i can't wait yeah. for that column <laughs> <laughs> um so i feel like when like when my daughter is 13 and is like legally allowed to use instagram i would probably feel apprehensive about her using instagram but I feel apprehensive about her doing a lot of things like driving or, um, you know, watching HBO or um, all, all those kinds of things. And I don't think of Facebook as like, I don't think of Instagram. And maybe this is wrong. Like at this point, I don't think of it as being like uniquely worse than those other things. So you're going to let her use it. Are you going to let your kids use Instagram? I think so. Um, on the other hand, like I, before, before I don't work. like I I have told them that they're going to get like smartphones when they're like in their thirties, <laughs> like so so like I don't know, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean they're like they have we have a lot of rules about about um when they can use um like digital devices, but it also applies to like TV and other media, like uh, mostly because I feel like they're like wasting their time on it. But it's not like about a particular kind of media. Like, I feel like those kinds of distinctions are difficult to make. Okay. Well, when we come back, we're going to test some of the stuff we've been talking about against some of your other writing, Farhad, and see where we head out. We'll do Farhad versus Farhad and and see who wins. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
well, you'll come out on top either way. All right. So we'll be back right after this on the Big Technology Podcast. Uh, Hang in there. We'll be back in just a minute. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back here on the Big Technology Podcast with New York Times opinion writer, Farhad Manju. Farhad, how you doing, man? Thanks for sticking around after the I'm break. I'm all right. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me here again. Okay. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome again. <laughs> we, love, we do love to do the second intro. Um, it's just a fun part of the podcast. So People might have forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's important for those, especially the people that just tune in. And, you know, I feel like podcasts usually get good once you get some of the um, table setting out of the way in the first half. And then mm-hmm. you really get to start to get heated in the second. So here we are. Okay. Let's get heated. Um, you've written uh, about how we as a human species are unable to cooperate with each other anymore. And you've indicated that you believe the internet might be at fault. So tell me a little bit more about your your view of the destructive nature of the internet on. Um, and you also just mentioned that you think that Facebook is a net negative in the first half. So let's let's hear about like your perspective of, um, you know, the destructive nature of the human uh, of, of the internet on human species and sort of like how you square that with the discussion we just had about Instagram and Facebook? Um, I think the, I think the biggest sort of effect that Facebook has had um, is to make the world like, is to sort of amplify the tribalism in the world. Um, And, you know, we had media that was doing that before. Like you can think of like talk radio, cable news did that to a certain extent. Um, And Facebook is sort of an expansion of that. Um, and you know, it does it very efficiently. Like, like if you are, um, you know, if you're like a, a, a Donald Trump, um, fan and like, uh, you live in a particular place where everyone else, um, believes similar to you, similarly to you, and you have relatives that believe similarly to you, um, your Facebook feed is going to reflect that. Um, but so is your like media decisions, like you your like that your choice of cable news station will also reflect that. And I feel like Facebook has just kind of added that layer um, and made it worse in two ways. So one is it's like much more efficient. It does it like quicker and you use it more. And like people use, I think people will use Facebook more than people watch TV. Uh, it's possible that it's around the same, but I think that it's more. Um, but the other thing it's done is like made it international. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is like, like the effect that Facebook has had on country on countries where that are like less sophisticated in terms of like um, mass media that have um, less um, journalism. So like Facebook is sort of like the um, a much more dominant form of media because it doesn't have like compete in those places with kind of um, traditional um, like fact-based accurate journalism. Um, in those ways, like it has made kind of um, 
like the key to kind of human cooperation is like trust and like giving people like the benefit of the doubt and like sort of having like good faith relationships. And mm-hmm. I think that Facebook makes all of that stuff worse. Like it, it like it reduces it, it gives you like this very like deep in-group bias. Like you're you think that the people on Facebook that you see are like um are like uh you know you trust them a lot but it, I think it like sows distrust in, in, in um the, for you toward like the like outer people not in your group um and in that way like like our species is one of like cooperation like everything we've done up until you know like even including like like the terrible things in our world like world war ii uh you know we've had we've had like the way that we overcome those things is by like um humans working together in like larger and larger groups and 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 we like um work on our problems but like that seems much more difficult to do. Like, you know, we have, we have in this country, like no ability to turn like with either um, political party to like pass major legislation in this country. And we were able to like for a few months after like a extremely like world destroying pandemic, but like now it seems like we can't anymore. Like, so there was like four months like earlier this year where we could pass legislation. And that seems like crazy to me. Like we can't, we can't like solve in this country, like our, our, um, sort of baseline problems, but it's like, seems to be happening in lots of other places around the world. Like politics has gotten so tribal and like extreme in, you know, everywhere you can think of in like most parts of Europe, in South America, like in Brazil, um, in, uh, parts of Asia in like, unless you are living, live in places where like the internet has been, um, you know, completely censored. Um, it's difficult to say that it has had like a positive effect on like you know, sort of knowledge and like trust and cooperation. It just seems like it has made a lot of problems worse. Yeah. I'm going to be careful when I say this, but it seems like the internet is both, uh, you know, a, well, I just did a story this week about how Facebook's pitch, it's a whole strategy of communications is going to be that it levels the playing field. Right. And it levels the playing field for like underrepresented groups, no doubt in social movements um, but the internet in, in general just seems to be, and, you know, Facebook, but, but brought more broadly, um, you know, the full internet also seems to be this accelerant for terrible ideas where they might've been just sort of, you know, something that a few people talk about in a bar or like, you know, stocked away in some tiny corner of society. But I'm thinking about, um, obviously like this massive anti-vaccination movement, when it comes to COVID and I have people close to me who are anti-vax. I understand the arguments, uh, but it's still like the, the positives and the evidence we have today, you know, seems to far outweigh any, um, uh, any logic to not get it. Yet we still have this massive movement against vaccines. And you've written about this. Um, actually, you actually wrote that it wasn't Facebook. And I'll just say one more. I mean, think about the fact that we had this internet born uh, insurrection that tried to, you know, disrupt the counting of the votes on January 6th and, and continues today. And you have legislators that are like, and, and, gov- and state governments that are putting into place people who are, who will very happily try to overturn the election results in the next election. And, you know, they, they posted into these in-groups, these travel groups, I think that you, you referenced, and no one tells them that they're totally out of their mind. And so it builds momentum. So terrible ideas seem to really take off in a big way online. And that's extremely concerning. Yeah, I agree. I, and and it, and it seems like, I mean, the other part to add to it is like Facebook's particular way of monetizing, like 
seems to have, um, seems to favor the terrible ideas. Like, you know, because like, um, outrage and, um, and, you know, untruths kind of just sell better. Um, and they work better on their plat on their platform. Um, it's not like, Oh, like that you rarely see like the, the story about like everyone needs to stop using water because there's a drought or something like some, some kind of like positive thing that creates like the, like we've had, yeah. we have seen positive social movements um, less on t- Facebook though, than like on Twitter. Um, because like uh, one thing that Twitter ha- does that Facebook doesn't do is like leads to this sort of um, like, you can have small groups that like then amplify into like traditional media, which is like Facebook is sort of on the other side of that where like traditional yeah. media um report something and then it goes on Facebook. So like Twitter, you know, Black Lives Matter was on Twitter. Me Too was more on, on Twitter than on Facebook. Um, and uh, those kinds of um, social movements, even even um, like the Arab Spring, which had, you know, less mm-hmm. of a long-term effect than I think people thought at the time, but that was like a more Twitter-focused um, uh, phenomenon. And, right. and I feel but like- the criticism of that will be that, like what you're saying is, so, you know, social movements that I like, you know, should spread, but social movements I don't should be. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying like social movements that I find positive. <laughs> you, you can cite some of them, but like yeah. in general, like I feel like um, it has led to uh, just like a shallowness in in how we think about the world because it- it just sort of um, short circuits a lot of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, the, the trouble is like, it's very difficult to think of ways to solve this problem because it has gotten, Facebook has gotten so big and um, it's sort of like, so it seems so difficult to police that like I, find a lot of the proposals for fixing Facebook to be like as dangerous as Facebook is currently. Yeah. So it's hard to know what to do about these problems. Well, the incentives, right? Like there, I spoke about this on the podcast last week, but the incentives really are um, for folks who are outside of power to go full hog on social media. And, um, and that leads to the acceleration. So you have like, for instance, like the scientific consensus like they're not going to use social media with the same amount of fervor as, you know, uh, anti-vax folks or people mm-hmm. who are like, you know, talk about an issue close to your heart, trying to dispute the validity of climate change. Right. Like yeah. if, you know, when, once you have this consensus and it's the established value, you don't you're not going to spend your day like on social media trying to convince people of it because it's the consensus. But people who are outside the consensus, you know, there is an incentive to break through and you gain clout and followers um, and it is this sort of like the media is not telling you this stuff and it does lead to, I, I was thinking about it today. I almost thought about starting the podcast with this, but the state of affairs right now is fairly depressing. It seems like the extremes on the right and the left, uh, are, are dominating the day. The center is nowhere to be found. Um, you know, again, like I mentioned with the, the fact that like the election manipulation domestically in the United States is just, you know, reaching levels that. Um, you never really thought possible here. And then again, like the, the COVID situation um, is, is extremely disheartening where you're, we, we're just not in the U S at least um, it just seems like we're going to be far away from ending this pandemic uh, as long as we have such vaccine resistance. And, you know, I think you might've mentioned it, the internet, once this stuff goes 
out of the bag, uh, it's really tough to stuff it back in on, on, when you're talking about a society that lives its information uh, and consumes this information and, and, you know, disseminates it online. Yeah. I mean, the, I think that the anti-vax movement is, is really interesting in that respect. It started, you know, in many ways, sort of before the internet or before the internet was like the force that it is. And yeah. in some ways it was like more of a lefty phenomenon than a, than a right wing phenomenon. Like, oh yeah. It's like when, Marin County is. is yeah. Yeah, exactly. Marin yeah. County. Um, when I, when I, um, I worked at salon for a long time, which was a lefty online magazine. And, um, I spent a lot of time there and after the 2004 election, like disputing both like this question of whether um, George W. Bush had stolen the election and um, the, uh, and the anti-vax conspiracies. And like, it was both because like a lot of lefty readers were saying that those things were true. Um, and like, we were trying to sort of um, shut down like our audience's um, bad, uh, you know, miss this like beliefs oh, imagine um, imagine actually trying to dispute that as a yes exactly like you don't see a lot of that anymore but, um <laughs> but like you know um i i remember it being like a very lefty phenomenon and and like the way that it has um it, it has morphed um is entirely due to uh facebook and fox news like like it's you know and like trump and others but like in in terms of media like it's it's just kind of like these two forces that have um, made those beliefs um, like is given like a platform to those beliefs that has spread far beyond, you know, what we thought their original like extreme um, audience was like, it's a different audience and it found that audience um, through, through these, through these platforms. And like um, at some point, so, so I wrote a column recently, I think you were just referenced it about, about mis about the anti-vax misinformation on Facebook. And I think That's what correct. I tried to say there yeah, is like, the anti-vaccine movement is much bigger than Facebook. Sorry. Right. I think, I think, you know, I think Facebook played a big role in it, but it's hard to, um, it's hard to sort of, um, like quantitatively say like what was worse, like. Um, Tucker Carlson sort of talking about it, like having kind of these crazy guests on about, about vaccines all the time. And yeah. the Tucker Carlson segments just like go on YouTube and people watch them on YouTube. And then um, people post the YouTube segments on Facebook. And like, who do you blame there? Do you blame YouTube or Facebook or Fox News or like all of them? All the above. It, right. A lot of these systems are like, they work like together. And so, um, you know, Facebook like has some share of the blame there and like facebook has like um done something about it like posted on the site like whatever if you think they're <laughs> there if no. you think they haven't done enough like i i don't know exactly what they have done they, they've posted like all they seem to do is like post more and more labels about how things are not true and and youtube does that too but like and and like i think they deserve criticism for perhaps that's not enough like they should change their algorithms or whatever like Fox News hasn't done any of that. Like hasn't hasn't right. sort of addressed the criticism in any way. And Fox News doesn't have to because like people think of it as traditional media, and like you can't like tell traditional media what to do. Um, right. But like it's weird how we have this different view for Facebook and YouTube. Totally. And don't you need a vaccine uh, card or something to enter the Fox News building? Like all those hosts are vaccinated. Yeah, it's totally hypocritical. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, I want to do a lightning round with you. So why don't we take uh, a break oh, wow. and, okay. and then um, and then we'll just come back and, and talk about your cats and Apple and 
um, some other stuff. How's that sound? Okay, sounds good. Okay, we'll be back here with Farhad Manju right after this. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here for one final segment on the Big Technology Podcast with Farad Manju. We've been talking a lot about Facebook and internet and the internet in our society. What is internet? Do you remember that video clip? I do, yes. Good morning, America. What is internet? Is it an email? What is internet? Yeah. Oh, Lord. Well, we found out. Um, Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I I thought we would um, do a lightning round just to end this off. We don't have to go too fast, but it's sort of my way of saying there's a grab. Slow lightning. Slow lightning. Yeah. Uh, It's a good band name. Uh, But yeah, there's a a grab bag of stuff I want to talk to you about. Um, So first of all, you... We've talked about your cats. Um, you wrote a New York Times <laughs> column about uh, how you wonder what's in your cat's heads, um, which I think everyone who's been around a cat wonders at one point or the other. How did you get the New York Times to let you write a column like that? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, one thing First of all, it's a great a- column, but I just can't even imagine being in the pitch meeting and being like, all right, I got it. What are in my yeah. cat's heads? So, um <laughs> One thing about uh, being an opinion columnist at the New York Times is like you can essentially do whatever you want. I mean, people will say no. People will say no to like the worst ideas, I think. But like we have a lot of freedom to do it. And like I I think I I think I sort of made a convincing case that I could write an article about it. Yeah, Um, it's 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 been like so. I, I wrote this article about yeah what the cats are thinking, but like it has like sparked a lot of um. I don't know. I know you wanted this to be an, a lightning round, but I have a no, 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 no. This is we have fifteen minutes, so lightning was a misnomer. I um I think there's like a lot of um applicability about um to technology here because one thing that I think been thinking about a lot recently is is VR, um and VR um really like when you're in virtual reality, it um really makes you question like what consciousness is (laughs) because you're getting all of your inputs from like digital systems and you know that it's not real, but it feels real. And, Mm. um, and like, it makes me wonder like crazy things about like whether we're in a simulation, whether, um, and, and like those kinds of questions are like questions. I also ask about my cats, (laughs) like what the (laughs) cats are thinking, like what the cats are thinking makes me like wonder, like, 
um, about my own sort of sense of self and like whether that is affected by uh, like how that will be affected by like VR. Um, and so they're like interconnected in some strange way. Do you think we're in a simulation? Um, yeah, I think that it's, I think that we don't know. <laughs> like, I think that, I think that reality is like indistinguishable from a simulation. So we don't yeah. know. Yeah. I'm open to the idea. Also, I initially thought it was ridiculous. Then, uh, this is what happens when you live in the Bay area for more than a couple of years. Right. <laughs> Um, there's this philosopher, um, there's this philosopher, David Chalmers, who's like, uh, writing, who wrote this, um, book that's coming out about this question about Mm -hmm. VR and, and, um, like, uh, consciousness. And it's the most interesting thing I've read in a while. So I'm going to write about it. Oh, cool. Uh, how often do you hang out in VR? Um, and what do you do there? Not a whole lot. So, so a lot of things I like, it's, it doesn't have like great content and like the, like, yeah. The best content seems to be games. And so I've played some games um, and I've tried a little bit the like Facebook, um, like various meeting rooms and stuff, but they don't yeah. seem like that great. Um, like, but, I, but I think it has like enormous potential. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, like the, the way that we've seen in the pandemic is like, we have, we just moved our lives over to screens completely. And, and it seems reasonable to me that if screens were sort of bigger and like um immersive they would like people would use them <laughs> um and you know at some like early in the days of vr it seemed like there were lots of i don't know practical concerns like it made you um nauseous and also the the, the technology was huge but i feel like it's it's gonna become as small as like smartphones are or whatever even smaller or like contact lenses or something and at that and like if it's it's going to get to a point where it's practical enough that I feel like people, people use it or, or things like AR glasses or some, right. some way of like getting the digital world into our real world is going does to happen. It, does a future where so much computing is layered on top of reality, make you optimistic, nervous? Uh, what, how do you feel about it? It makes me very nervous. Like it, 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 like, I feel like all of the problems we have now with misinformation <laughs> with like, yeah. um, like the, the, inability to distinguish like what's real from what's not will all get worse um in vr like it's well, the, like to the ex- to the extent yeah. that, and especially if facebook runs it i right? was about to say the good yeah. news is that the company that's going to usher it in has never right. had a problem with misinformation <laughs> right no um i mean the good the good news is like i don't think facebook is going to become like the big player there like it seems like at some uh, point apple or someone else will will create a device i don't, I don't that, know about apple i mean well, anyway we we could talk about apple but they, they haven't they have they just haven't done a good job of developing out anything outside of headphones uh, under under tim cook i mean they have their own chip they give them credit for that but groundbreaking products probably um, i don't know I f- i've been feeling bullish about apple i think that like yeah. they're um their uh, M1 chips are amazing. The um, the way that they've been sort of like, I think the iPad is great. <laughs> like the iPad is sort of my main computer now. Um, really? And oh, wow. yeah, I use it all the time. I use it to write. I use it to, like for most of my most of most of what I do. Are you tapping um, on the screen? Like, do you write your New York? No, time? I use the iPad oh, Pro with the keyboard, oh, okay. the, like four hundred dollar keyboard or something. Yeah. It's crazy okay. expensive, but it's so great in that, like, because it has a cellular connection, you can use it wherever. It's like yeah. crazy great battery life, and um, 
and like it has phone apps on it. So you can like, uh, it just seems like because I use my phone so much, switching to the iPad is like a lot less of a, like a mental um, break than going to like a Mac. Okay. You you don't like the Apple tax though, the 30% that they charge. Yeah, no, I, I, I really hope. Epic wins that or the FTC does something. I th- that's like a real um, opportunity for regulation that I think is sorely needed. Why? why yeah, I guess um, the argument, not to get into a whole deep discussion about this because we're lightning here, but uh, why do you think that regulators have a authority to come in and say Apple can't charge that 30%? It is its store. That's what people tell me. I mean, I'm with you, but. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I think that you can make a sort of very, like it's it, if it's not if it's not and i think it might not be technically a monopoly in the united states but like they have like something like at least 50% of smartphone share in the united states um and they have a lot higher share of like if you if you think of like app users or just sort of like high value users um and they are the only they on that platform they are the monopoly app provider and um there should be a rule that says like you could, you should be able to get apps on your device from other places. Yeah. Like, it just seems like um, it worries me when like computing is like so locked down by a single company. Um, yeah. Even if the company makes good products, like it seems like these mm-hmm. extremely useful devices should have like a wider range of utility. Yep. Um, okay. Moving on in our lightning round. Um, there's one thing that, that folks wanted me to, I asked on Twitter, what should I ask Farhad about? And folks wanted to hear about your Thanksgiving uh, situation where- Thanksgiving was, uh, was so we- yeah. so you, you, Well, let's let give the context. Yeah, yes. go ahead. <laughs> uh, so I wrote this article about, so, so last year, um, Thanksgiving time, um, I wrote about sort of how large my kind of extended bubble was and how, and then I said sort of that with like various precautions that we were going to um, visit my parents for Thanksgiving anyway. And it caused like the greatest like negative response I've ever had to. Remember. Yeah. Did you become like the main character on Twitter for the day or something like I that? I did. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and it really like soured me on social media for months. I like I, I think I didn't go on Twitter. Yeah. Like, like it was like very like psychologically painful. Um, okay. I think I was right still. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I, Colin, I feel like, like yeah. When I feel like, like the I feel like the criticism was I think um, didn't you decide that you didn't want to go? Uh you shouldn't go for Thanksgiving, but you said you were gonna go anyway or something at the end. Uh I said I, I, I said something like that like I understand the dangers, but like we were gonna do it anyway in a safe way. Yeah. And they like listed the 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 things we were gonna Across. do. Like we we're gonna yeah, we were going to, yeah. we, we drove, we didn't fly and we were going to, and, and we did all this. Like we had dinner with my family, um, outside and Which we didn't we stay there. Fairly safe. Yeah. Um, and so like, I, like I thought that we were completely safe and we turned mm-hmm. out to be safe. Like no one, no one got, got COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but like, I think that what I did wrong was sort of, um, I don't know, wrong, but like one thing I didn't anticipate, like I just didn't read the room correctly. Like, Mm. like people were like, I should have written it in a way that was more cautious and explanatory about my, what I was doing, because Mm. I feel like people were especially 
um, jumpy at that time about anyone who was not sort of following like the main rules. Like, and I got yeah. like a lot of private uh, messages from people saying like mm-hmm. they were also going to their family <laughs> for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. but like yeah. saying it publicly, I think at that point was like just far, t- too far for people. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I like, I, I don't think that I did anything sort of technically wrong in like a journalistic mm-hmm. sense, but like yeah. in terms of like a tone sense or like a, understanding like what the audience what the audience's um uh uh sort of response and pushback was and sort of like anticipating and responding to that which i try to do in my articles like i feel like i yeah didn't do that correctly well tell me more about the psychological pain it's just really terrible to feel like the internet is against you like like it's hard to tell yourself like oh it's just people on twitter because First of all, like I know people on Twitter, <laughs> like yeah. Twitter's huge. And like, I know a lot of people and like a lot of my yeah. sort of like public persona is there. So like Twitter and like what people think of me on Twitter is like valuable to me. And also um, one thing that happens is like at some point it gets disconnected from any facts. And it's just like, like there were lots of like follow on articles where it's like elitist New York Times writer, like, yeah it sort of like becomes just like ad hominem attacks and like people who didn't read the article are just retweeting it and stuff. It's not, it's just at all, like not at all like a pleasant feeling to be the main character on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and, um, even to be a, a a minor character on Twitter sucks. Yeah. Being a minor character on Twitter is also not good. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, I feel like, um, you know, of all the social media, like I, I use Twitter more than anything else. I think I, I use TikTok and Reddit often too, but like Twitter is sort of like the main place that I am. Um, and um, I feel like there's a lot of good things about it, but like it also has this like very, very uh, like toxic effect on the world and probably yes. also is like a net negative in the world. Like Facebook is. I agree. I wrote about this. Uh, I, I think I, I, for me, the jury's out on Facebook, but I do think Twitter is a net negative. And I wrote this column about how um, Twitter should be cognizant of this main character behavior that's incentivizing by putting people's names in the trending bar, which is just oh, yeah. ask. That's true. It right. is, they talk about conversational health, but every single day, you know, the reason why this main character analogy is so for people who don't know, there's a tweet that says every day there's a main character on Twitter and your goal is to not be it. And the reason why this exists is because Twitter will put their names in the in the spotlight and say, essentially, go dunk. And that is it's just like, you know, if they if they can do that and have, they have no claim to this notion that they're going to try to be good to society because it just turns people into savages. Yeah, no, I agree. It. I mean, I think. I think uh, the trending bar um, is bad and quote tweets are, are bad. Like yes. the way that people use quote tweets are to direct anger from their mm-hmm. audience to like another audience, another person's audience. And it's, it becomes contagious. Like, there's very few sort of good ways to use that power. Yes, I agree. Okay. So last question. Um, you, you've had an interesting, like, uh, I feel like you've publicly started try to like reckon with like, your Twitter use and you've gone through like various different personas, uh, on Twitter. Um, what's your relationship with it now? Um, I probably use it less now than I did sort of uh, a year ago, definitely like two years ago, like during the, um, 
during the 2016 election, I think was my sort of height usage. And, um, I think it was like unhealthy in, (laughs) in, in various ways. Like, you know, I, you know, looking back, like my kids were much younger then, but I basically don't remember (laughs) their lives because I was just like looking at my phone the whole time. Um, and so that was bad. Um, and I think it has a, a way of, um, like it has a definite risk to me as a writer in that, like it has a way of affecting my thoughts and like sort of bringing me into like groupthink uh, that bothers me. So I, I look at it. So I write a column once a week and I post the column and I look at the responses to the column. And yeah. so like the column runs Wednesday. So I look at it Wednesday and Thursday and like by Friday, I try to like from Friday to like Tuesday, I try to not look at it um, yeah. or look at it just like once to see like, if I'm not missing anything big. I was very happy for you when uh, we were trying to schedule this podcast and it was like a couple days between your responses. And I was like, good. I like right. this. Like this you DM, DM me on Twitter yeah. and like that day, I think I just didn't look at Twitter. Right. So, yeah. 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 And here we are. So we're a week later, but it's great to have you. Um, and, uh, and one thing I'll say is I do like when you, uh, you know, ask, I don't know, they're kind of goofy questions or like interesting observational questions about the world. And everyone replies Farhad, but I think they're super fun in the responses you get. So I hope that continues. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that like those kinds of things are like old Twitter and I loved like old right. Twitter, like yeah, sort of too. before it became all about politics, it was like awesome. And yeah. um, it's that, that kind of Twitter is just lost now. <laughs> yeah, sadly it is. Okay. Where can people find your work? Uh, yeah. Where, where's the thing? Uh, the New York Times opinion page. Uh, that's, that's it. Twitter. Okay. Um, Manju. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Manju yeah. on Twitter. Farhad, thank you for your time. You've been very gracious answering answering all these questions. It's been great hearing your perspective, and the column is a must read for me. So appreciate you being here and, and coming on to chat with us. Thanks so much. It's been fun. We've talked a lot about about a lot of things. It was great. Indeed, super fun. Thanks again. Uh, thank you, Nate Guatney, for doing the mastering of the audio and the edits. Thank you, Red Circle for hosting and selling the ads. And thanks to you all, the listeners. Without you, there'd be no show. We appreciate you coming back here every week. If it's your first time, feel free to hit subscribe. If you've been back a bunch and you're using an Apple device and you want to hit the rating uh, thing, that would be helpful. Uh, no pressure, but I would appreciate it if you did it. And, uh, and that's all the announcements. So thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next Wednesday here on the Big Technology Podcast. Until then, take care. Take care.